Hello, everybody. Good evening. This week is Parshas Emma, and we are going to begin. Sorry. We're going to begin with Not to be a problem here. Okay, we're going to, well, that's better. We're going to begin with the halachas of Lashon Hara, and then we will continue with Shvartaira uh, on this week's parsha. So we have, uh, last week and two weeks ago, we were talking about the seven conditions that the Chavot Chaim lists that are a prerequisite to saying Lashon Hara for Te'eles, to benefit someone. We explained last week that it's often a, uh, two weeks ago also, we explained that it's a real obligation to give over information, to save a person from damage financially, physically, emotionally. It's an obligation. So we went through the first five conditions so far. The first condition was that you have to have verified the facts of the story, either firsthand or as best as you can to clarify, make sure that it's 100% true. You have to think through the details to make sure it can't be interpreted, interpreted some other way. Summit. And um, you uh, also have to approach the person first, if possible, and learn their perspective, perhaps encourage them to repent. And you also have to make sure that when you say the story, you do so accurately without exaggeration or dramatization. That was what we learned two weeks ago. And last week, we discussed the concept that the fifth condition, which is that you have to have pure intentions. You have to do it for the sake of saving your friend and and helping them out and and just giving them information that they need rather than enjoying the the embarrassment that you're causing the other person or perhaps you have a grudge against them and now's your chance to get back at them. And we also explained that if you are suffering from such an issue that you have a grudge against that person, that doesn't absolve you of the obligation of helping your other friend who needs to be who needs this information he has to find out in order to say you know if doing a shidduch is something he has to find out about is going into a partnership or he's hiring someone he has to know this information so you have to do your best to try to overcome the personal issues you have in order to be able to give over the uh, the information honestly faithfully faithfully and truthfully for the right intentions and then you can you can uh keep this fifth condition of saying Lashon Hara when it's a tale is when it's for a good purpose. Those are the five conditions we did up till now. Now let's begin the sixth condition. This is an also interesting thing which requires thought before speaking Lashon Hara, and that is that if you can achieve your purpose some other way other than speaking Lashon Hara, then it's forbidden to speak Lashon Hara. And very often it's possible to do that. In other words, very often you can achieve what's necessary without having, actually having to say anything. Sometimes what you can do is instead of having to say a whole story and tell them all the facts and the gory details, if it's someone close enough to you, you can just tell them, listen, I'm telling you this is not a good idea, whether it's a good, not a good shidduch or just don't hire this person. And they might press you for details, but you know that if you tell them not to do it, they're not going to do it. Now, they're not, you, it requires some personal strength of willpower here to, 
be able to withstand their pressure that undoubt, undoubtedly your friend or family member is going to pressure you to, let you to ask you what exactly did they do or what exactly is the problem because people like to make their own decisions. They don't like to be told this is a bad idea and then just trust me. Nevertheless, if you do know that they will trust you and they will not do it and they will be saved from the potential damage that could happen through doing that, then, then, then your obligation is to do that. You really can't tell them anything more. And other times you can get creative. There's other ways that you can get around the problem. You can convince them out of it. You can convince them not to do it without having to tell them Lashon Hara. You can even sometimes simply give them a better idea, and that's all you need to do in order, like, you know, someone's looking into um, to hiring someone, and you know that that's going to be a terrible shidduch. It's going to be a, they won't work well together, and it'll end up in disaster. So in Sometimes instead of actually having to say bad things about the person, the potential hiree, you can just find them someone else, and that will solve the problem. So very often this requires some thought, that if you can find a better way to do it without having to resort to Lashon Hara, that's what you need to do. And it really goes against our knee-jerk reaction, because someone tells you, oh, I'm about to do that. And you say, oh, my gosh, don't do it. I'm telling you, I had a terrible experience with that person. And you need to pause for a minute and say, one second, do I really need to say that? Or will this, it'll be enough for him to say, you know what, I have a much better idea, or just say, you know what, I don't know if that's such a great idea. I don't know, you know, even if you could just limit the amount of Lush and Hara you say, you have to do that. Even if you could strip down the details that you're sharing, you don't have to tell them all the terrible things, it's enough for them to hear one thing, and then that will be enough for them to, to change their mind. So, again, Lush and Hara has to be kept at the bare minimum possible. That's the sixth condition. Sometimes an interesting, uh, I'm sorry, that now let's, uh, let's go into the, the seventh condition. The seventh condition is that you can't cause more damage to the person than would be appropriate halakhically. Meaning, I'll give you a, a, one application of this. There's many, but one application of this is as follows. Let's talk about the example of a shidduch, right? So if someone wants to do a shidduch, wants to go into a partnership, needs to do business with someone, wants to rent an apartment to someone, any of those kind of cases. And you have information about the potential that is, it's, not, it's just not a good, not a good idea. So you, you need to share it with this person. The problem is that you know that the person you're sharing the information with has loose lips. It's going to get all over town. They hear the story, they're going to tell it to their friend, they tell it to someone else. They're, not, they're just not such not people. They don't care, and they're just going to spread it. Maybe they'll even be well-intentioned, but regardless, it's going to develop feet, and everybody's going to find out. And that's going to cause tremendous damage to the person who otherwise is not, not deserving of that, right? We're not talking about a serial killer. Someone, it, wasn't, it wasn't a good, uh, you know, a, a good shit between you and him, but there could be someone else that will work fine with him. You can't destroy his reputation. You can't deny him the ability to get a job. You can't deny a person the ability to get a shit So if you're going to be telling it to someone that is not going to be careful with information. You're going to tell it to someone that's, that's not going to be, to, to keep it private. You can't tell it to that person because you're going to end up causing a lot more damage than is necessary. So th- this is difficult also because you think, you know, one second, but I need to protect my friend. My friend is going to rent it to that person. They're, they're going to destroy the apartment. They're going to have a terrible relationship. How could I give up on Lissam al and what's important to understand is that if, if the person you're sharing this with can't guard the information and can't keep it private, it's, they're, they're, it's their own fault. They're, called, they're bringing this upon themselves. If they can't be trusted with, with information, then you can't give it to them. It's just the way it is. But 
you know, there's another kind of situation which I was faced with at times, which makes it much more complicated. And that is when the person in, in point is not asking on behalf of themselves, but they're asking on behalf of someone else. So they ask you, can you tell me something about that person? Because my friend needs to know. So now the person you're talking to has very loose lips, and they're not going to be careful with their information. They're going to spread it all around town. The person who needs to know their information, however, is uh, a you know is an honest and and an erlocha person, and as Yarish and won't be spreading information. So in that case, don't tell the person asking you. Just go straight to the person who needs to know, if you can. Sometimes you don't know who the person that needs to know is, and it can be kind of awkward asking them. Well, just tell me who it is that needs to know, and I'll call them. In addition. Uh, sometimes the person asking you, let's say, is a mother asking information for her daughter, asking information for her, their, their son. And you know the parents are not going to be careful with the information, but the kid, children will. Now, that's very hard to do, to bypass the parents and go to the child. So there are situations where it gets complicated how to deal with this issue of a person who's loose lips and not going to be careful with information. And you have to ask a child, you have to speak it over with the Rav and, and try to figure out what's the best way to proceed. One other very relevant, especially in today's, uh, today's climate, is if you want to post a review online about someone's work, about someone's uh, reliability, their honesty, you realize when something gets posted online, so to speak, it's nitzchiyat. Is there forever, and it's going to get all over the place and cause tremendous damage to the person, which 99% of the time is undeserved. Now, obviously, if the person is dangerous to society, it's a medical practitioner that, that has multiple lawsuits that he lost, and so on and so forth. Yeah, okay, you have to save people. But if that's not the case, you know, you didn't work out with the person, and now you're very angry, and you post that review online, you're going to cause so much damage to that person. Also, it's very, very hard to justify a thing like that. So that's also important to realize that the seventh condition of Hilchus Lashon Hara, that you can't give over information if it's going to end up causing much more damage than the person deserves. Speaking of Parshish Amar, but in addition, this coming week, we're going to be celebrating Lag Baimer. And it's in the midst of Surya Saimer, and Surya Saimer is mentioned in this week's Parsha. And the Yantim of Lagbaimer, we all know it as it's the yard site of Rashim ben Yachai, it's the day when he passed away. But the truth is that according to Halacha, that's not the reason why we celebrate. That is the reason why we make a bonfire, and there's a reason I'll be Kabbalah to celebrate for that reason alone. But halachically, the reason why you can take a haircut, halachically, the reason why you can listen to music, and why the morning ends during Lagbaimer, the reason is, is because it's when the 24,000 Talmidim of Rabbi Akiva stopped dying. During this time between Pesach and Shavuot, the 24,000 people, those are like numbers that used to be beyond our comprehension, and unfortunately now it's something that we can relate to. So now, you know, we unfortunately have an idea what it means that so many, such large numbers of people dying from a, a magefa, dying from an infection, and when they stopped, it was a celebration. It was a reason it was caused to celebrate. And that's what Lag Baimer is all about. It's the day that the Tamid Rabbi Kiva stopped dying. And I can imagine we would have a day like that, right? One day when there's no infections, no one dies. It would be a cause for simple. But the Prichadish asks, he asks the question. The Prichadish says, 
Why is this a simcha, he says. They didn't stop dying. They all died. All 24,000 died. There was no one left. That's why it stopped on Lag Ba'imer. How is it something to celebrate? Now, I've said this question before. I've spoken about it in the past. And it made a lot of sense to me in the past. But in our current situation, the question doesn't quite mean the same thing to me anymore. And the truth, we, we have to reinterpret the question. I don't know if you've seen, there was this re- video recently um, released about Charitetic Hospital. The doctors and the nurses were all dancing because the last patient who had had COVID was discharged. And that was a reason to rejoice. And I think we can all relate to that. When Emir Hashem by us, when that day comes, and Emir Hashem should happen soon, when that day comes that all the people who are sick get better, everybody's discharged from the hospital, Emir Hashem. Nobody else gets sick. That's most certainly a reason to rejoice. That's most certainly a reason to, to make a day of Simcha. And we all personally should, if Hashem, we should all go through this and come out on the other side healthy, with our family, family members healthy and, and strengthened by this. I think every single one of us, and uh, me certainly, it's incumbent upon us to make a suicide We should make a communal one, make a personal one. We survived. We got through it. This was a shazam. It was the time of anger. There's, there's mitzvahdin going on. There's no question. There's a lot of suffering. And we, if we make it through, it's a reason to rejoice. So it's important to realize that we do have to reinterpret the question of the pre chadish We have to understand what he's asking. Let's think about it. Why do we mourn the Tamid Rebbe Akiva? Why do we mourn the 24,000 people that died in that time, 2,000 years ago, in the time of Rebbe Akiva? I mean, we have, are a nation who has a history full of tragedies. Why is this tragedy singled out and given such importance that its period of Avelos, its period of mourning, rivals the same period of mourning we have for the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. The Sira and the, two, and the three weeks are the only time of year that we go through this kind of thing. We don't shave, we don't listen to music. The same kind of availus we have for the Beis HaMikdash we give for this particular event in history when the 24,000 Hamidim of Rabbi Kiva died. Why? And I think here too, we can learn a lot from our current situation. When a magefa occurs, when a pandemic happens on such a monumental level, so many people get infected so quickly and die one after another. There's no day that there's no bad news. And in those days at Hamid Rebekiva, such a short span of time between Pesach and Shavuot, so 700 people a day were dying. It's life-altering. And it's life-altering for everyone. It's life-altering for society. We know nothing will be quite the same after this. Right? We know... We... We, we just know it's just not going to be the same. We know society is not going to go back to normal. It's going to be a new normal. And I think we're also observing personally in our own lives how different it is now in this unprecedented situation, how we are coping, how family life is, how it is to work, how we are starting to appreciate things we never did before, how we're appreciating spirituality and ruchnius and taira. It's just different. And I think more than anything else we're grappling is what is the message what are we meant to do now? And more importantly, how should we change so that this remains a meaningful event and the change does not only a physical change, not only a practical change, but becomes a spiritual change. We've become changed people. How do we make it that that change means something, that change amounts to something? But think, 
we're suffering from a virus that seems to affect everybody and uh, all people equally all around the world. It's global. And there's no one clear message being demonstrated by this virus. At least we don't have the VM with their prophecy. We don't have Chazal with their clarity to explain it to us. But the Magefa in the time of Rabbi Akiva was very specific in who it affected. It killed the Talmidim of Rabbi Akiva, the pride and joy of the Jewish people, all the Torah scholars, every single Talmud Chacham, the future of the next generation. And it was a clear message from Hashem. And it was clear that it was not random. And they died, as Chazal explained to us, of a certain flaw, which we'll talk about later. There was a certain lack of respect in between them. More on that. But we're mourning. Why are we mourning? We're mourning because we lost 24,000 Tamidah Chachamim, the Tamidim of Rabbi Akiva, who we can only imagine their greatness and their Kedusha. I mean, judged by the following Tamidim that Rabbi Akiva had. What, who, who were the Tamidim he had? Ereshim and Yechai. That was just one of his five Tamidim. So imagine 24,000 Tamidim of Rabbi Akiva. Who could that have been? What could they have produced? So they died for the reason they died. But why did Klal Yisrael suffer such a calamity? Why did we suffer such a tragedy? Why did Klai Yisrael of that generation and in truth of every single future generation suffer? We don't have a Mishnah that has a Rabbeinu Chayim, who was one of the Hamidim Rabbi Kiva who died. We don't have another Sefer Hazayar on Kabbalah that would have been written by another one of the Hamidim Rabbi Kiva. We're all punished. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an eternal effect. Clearly, there was a lack of respect for Hamidim Chachamim that Klai Yisrael had. It wasn't just between them. More importantly, it was us. We didn't appreciate Tamid Chachamim enough. We didn't give them enough respect and reverence. We didn't value them more than anything else in the world. We didn't hang on to their every word and action like people hang on to the celebrities. And that's why we lost them. And that's exactly why we mourn them now, because we don't want to repeat that mistake. We want to demonstrate how Tamid Chachamim and the Torah that they represent are so important and precious to us that thousands of years later we're still mourning the loss of those Tamid Chachamim and the Torah that they represented. So we should most certainly focus on strengthening that respect and reverence in our current lives with our Rabbeim, our Tzadikim, and our Gedal. And now I think we can understand the question of the Prichadosh. Of course, it was a tremendous simcha when the Megefa ended. And I imagine they celebrated it. People stopped dying. But we're mourning because of the loss of those Hamid Chachamim. And they all died. We were left with none of them. So why should that cause a break in our mourning period? What is the reason for our simcha if that's the reason for our sadness? If they all died, and that's why we're mourning, so that they stopped, there was nobody left. Why should, we be, why should we have a simple? So the Prichadish says an amazing, an amazing thing, which again is such a message for us. He says, you know, it's not the fact that they stopped dying. That's not why we're celebrating. We're celebrating what happened next. Rabbi Kiva went on, and he taught five new Talmidim, Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Yaisi, who were the foundation of our Mishnah. The devastation caused by losing 24,000 Tamidim. He was running from Leviah to Leviah to Leviah. He couldn't keep up. He was shattered, destroyed. His life's work, and he didn't start as a young man. He didn't start young, and he lost all those Tamidim. Everything he had worked on his whole life, it was all destroyed, gone. But he didn't stop. He didn't give up. He continued the Messiah of Torah. And the five Tamidim that he gave us, are the foundation of our whole Torah Shabbat. Everything we have are them. 
And that's what we're celebrating. The Chida writes that some versions have that Rav Shem died in Lagbaimer, but others say that it was the day that he became a Talmud of Rabbi Akiva. That's why we celebrate Lagbaimer. And it's the Midah of Gvura. It's the Midah of overcoming difficulty, overcoming adversity, and it defines us as a nation. It embodies us. But I think it's a very important message for us, specifically now. In that Magaifa, when the 24,000 Tamidim died, something tremendous was lost. We lost all that terror, all that potential. The only cause to rejoice, the only thing that can overcome that morning and to break through it, give us a day that we can be happy, the only thing that can do that is something that counteracts the loss. The loss was a tremendous loss of Tyra, was a tremendous loss of respect for Tyra. We can counteract it. He made new Talmidim. He gave us back the Tyra. We got Tyra Shabbat back. He took on a new initiative. He started again. He didn't give up. That's why it's a reason to rejoice. Something positive came out of all the destruction. When this is over for us, there's going to be, unfortunately, a lot to mourn. So many people died. So many Talmidim Chachamim were lost. Gedele Yisrael, Navarinsky Rebbe, Rashi Yeshiva died. Rabbanim, teachers, Rabbeim. But the one thing that can give us cause for Simcha is if there's a new initiative, a new Kabbalah for the future. I don't know if whole Klai Yisrael can band together. We don't have that power that Chazal had. But individuals, we can. If the event makes us better and changes us to grow us greater and greater, that will be the only reason that we can have Simcha from all this destruction. Rav Pam has a beautiful explanation of what it means that the Tamida Rebbe Kiva didn't respect each other properly. He says it's impossible to think it means just as it says. There is Tanayim and well beyond anything we can even fathom. How could they have not respected that basic Midas Tavis? Of course they respected each other. He says it means something else. Rebbe Akiva was the greatest, perhaps the greatest Tamad Chacham that ever lived. Gemara Menachem famously says that Moshe Rabbeinu came and HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave him a view of Rabbi Akiva, a view into the future. And he saw Rabbi Akiva giving a shir. And he didn't even understand Rabbi Akiva's shir. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't understand Rabbi Akiva's shir. And he had Chalisha Sadat that bothered him until he hear, heard Rabbi Akiva saying to someone, you know what the source is? It's Halacha Moshe Messina. So Rabbi Akiva had a certain level of understanding and erudition and terror that rivaled Moshe Rabbeinu, perhaps even exceeded Moshe Rabbeinu. He was the greatest Talmud Chacham. And when faced with a Rebbe like that, everybody felt tremendously insignificant. They felt, like, very humble. So they didn't respect each other out of humility. They lacked a certain respect for each other because they were so humbled by the tremendous Rebbe. He's so great, we're nothing. And that Hashem held them responsible for. Hashem expected them and us to realize how tremendously valuable and precious the Torah is. Anyone who learns Torah is entitled to the highest level of honor. What seems small in truth is very, very big. The Gemara in Ksuba says, and this is very hard to wrap your head around, but the Gemara in, in, in Ksuba says that anybody that learns Gemara and learns Mishnah, and if he taught someone else, well, taught, just taught someone a Mishnah, he should and he is entitled to have a Leviah of 600,000 people. Now, we don't know anybody that had a Leviah of 600,000 people. But the Gemara says, you just learn a Mishnah and Gemara, you're entitled to that. And everybody's obligated to go, the Gemara says. Something very hard, again, very hard to relate to, but that's the level of Hashivah Zatari, of someone who learns Torah. And keeping all this in mind, 
during these days, we can think about how we want to improve in Tyra. Learning Tyra is paramount, and it's the most important thing to us, individuals, and as, as our nation. Respecting Tyra is in some ways more important than Tyra itself. There's a Gemara that finds in Halacha, there's a, a ramification that respecting Tyra is more important than Tyra itself. There are many ways that every single person can show respect to Tyra. First and foremost, by learning Tyra, making time to learn, making the time we have to learn Tyra, sacrosanct, and not letting anything get in the way. And everybody in the house that participates in making that learning Seder into reality, everybody that makes it happen, that gives it their chashivas, is showing a tremendous respect and value for Tyra, especially when, as it usually does, it comes at the expense of of helping at home, helping with kids, quality time, dinner, whatever. Appreciating those who learn Tyra, doing so through valuing their words, supporting them, talking about their deeds and how they learn and know so much Tyra. Every single Jewish home should revolve around the Tyra, one way or another. Simply being quiet and listening to a Dvar Tyra by a Shabbos table is demonstrating respect and reverence for Tyra. I remember my Rebbe saying, Rebbe Yudel Fisher, it should be well. He's currently my son, Mayor's Rebbe. So he told us he has this picture. The picture of his father-in-law. His father-in-law's name was Rashmul Feibelson Zetzal, very big Talmud Chacham, Rosh Hashiva. He was a Talmud of Rara So it was by this Rashmul Feibelson's Chassanah. He was a young Chassan, 20s. And the custom in those days was that the Chassan got up and said, a shtickle Tyra. He said, a Dvar Tyra. You know, a lochel. So he was up and he was speaking. And the picture was of Aaron Cutler, his Rebbe, right? The leader of Torah Jewry at the time. A tremendous genius, brilliant, it's, it's difficult to learn his svarim. They're so tremendously, you know, complicated and complex. So Rav Aaron Cutler was listening, and he was spread over the table just to be able to hear. Like almost his whole body was on the table just to get close to be able to hear what his Talmud, uh, almost a bakr of 20, 20, 25, whatever he was, saying a Dvar Torah, saying a Shtikl Torah. That's respect for Torah. That's chavivus of Torah. That's love for Torah. There's so many ways we can do that. There's so many ways we can strengthen that. And now's the time. That's what the time of Seer is all about. We're mourning Tamidah Chachamim. We're mourning our lack of respect for Tyra, our lack of valuing Tamidah Chachamim. And we're mourning them to show that, no, we do, and we want them, and we need them, and we appreciate them, and we appreciate Tyra, and we appreciate what Tyra has to offer for us. And if we work on that, and if we strive to become better, may that be the schus that protects all of us, keeps us all healthy, and through that way, may we merit the coming of Mashiach Sidkane of Meher Vimenu. Amen. Everybody have a wonderful Shabbos and stay healthy. Thank you. I said the pre-chadish before. And not the time? The time I said before. Yeah. It's a little yeah. Just showing it to you, so I'm not going to it. Yes, it. I have it right here. Okay. There it is. Okay. Very nice. Beautiful. Was it? Mm-hmm. For a while. The last time. I hear your Rebbe was quoted. Oh, yeah? I was quoted? Well, I was mentioned quoted by Rebbe. What did I say this morning? Uh, I, I just said. My rabbi used to be my son. Oh, who's now my son? Okay. He has a picture of a small file. His, his uh, share.
by his chasana, that he was saying Shtipal Torah by the chasana, and Avraham Kato, his Rebbe was there, and Avraham Kato was like spread out on the table, just trying to hear what he was saying. <laughs> yeah, but then he was 25, you know? <laughs> his name was Rishmul Feivelton. My Rebbe, who's Mayor's Rebbe now, it's his father-in-law, was the Talmud of Aaron Kata. Yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> it was uh, <laughs> uh, someone, Oh, okay. 